Let's do it. Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? Of course, got every one of our lines wide open. It's a perfect time to give us a call. That's right. Right now is a perfect time to call. Mm-hmm. You can always get your questions answered thoroughly. That's right. Rather than getting the bums rush. We got, <laughs> got a lot of time to, to answer your question. Well, yeah, I got a whole hour of uninterrupted jibber-jabber. There you go. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> but it, it never fails. Come 10.58, we got well, lines are lit up, and we can't get questions answered. If you right. would like to get your questions answered at the end of the show, you can go to the website. Get your questions answered there. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. Get your email back 24 hours, as long as you use the form on the website. Yeah, you do have to use that. If you've got a previous form that you've sent to me and you've saved it or whatever, and you try to reply to that, it's just going to get bounced back to you because we've got a program on there that makes sure that they are current form. Reason being, we're just getting so much spam that we just didn't have time to read it all. When you go in and you open your inbox and you got 5,000 pieces of mail in there, it's <laughs> kind of hard to sort through it. So exactly. we had to eliminate all of that so we could actually get to the people who need us. So that's the way it works. Just go to the website, fill out a fresh form each and every time, and that way it'll come straight to me. And make sure you get the right return address on there because if you type that in wrong and I hit the button, it's going to bounce back and that's, That's going to be the end of it. Yeah, so if you hadn't gotten an answer from me in 24 hours, there's something wrong. Just go right. ahead and send it again because I never, ever ignore email. I always answer every single one that comes through legitimately. Also, also other things you can do on that site as well. The detailed topics is a great, great section. That's on your left-hand side, just below the menu items. And they're put on there. They show up each week when I write them in the order that they're written. So the ones at the top, of course, are the newer ones. There's a big two-part article that I wrote. Second part goes on today, and it's about radiators and, I guess, cooling systems in general, but primarily radiators. Enough information to put two articles together. It was. I started writing that, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. (laughs) It's just so much information there on what would seem to be a pretty simple topic, but it it's actually pretty involved, so you might want to read that. Lots of good information. Maybe some surprises in there for you, some things that will save you some money. Good article. Tons of other good articles on there as well. That's right. You can read through there and figure out how things work. Or so that's right. You, so or you're how, not, how they don't work. That's it. <laughs> it's just that's as important. It. But, yeah, lots of good information there. Pop on, see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we've got Merrill online. Good morning, Merrill. Doing, Doing great, sir. Good morning. All right, listen, I got an 07 Chevy, mm-hmm. and the radio goes in and out. Okay. Does it go and completely off, Merrill, or just goes lower and higher? It goes real, real low, like you can barely hear it. Yeah, that's I, probably a fault in the radio itself. That's actually no, got... No, 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 it's not the radio, because it comes back on. Yeah, I know, I know, and, but wait, it's wait, got... Listen, listen, when, I, when the radio comes back on, mm-hmm. that buzzer, when you leave your key in uh-huh. ignition, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. it works. Now, yes, when sir. the radio don't work, that doesn't work. Same thing. That buzzer is in the radio. You've got oh, speed-sensitive right. volume on there. The faster you go, it controls the volume. When that system malfunctions, it's going to cut your volume down when it shouldn't. But all those buzzers and all those chimes are in the radio. Oh, okay. There so you I'll... go. <laughs> you thought you had me, didn't you? <laughs> now, some of those. No, now, no, there, is actually, there is actually yeah, some reprograms that are available on a lot of those, Merrill. You may be able to just have it reprogrammed. GM had a lot of trouble with their radios right around that time. Okay. And there may be a reprogram available. If not, then it's going to be a fault in the radio itself. But that's fairly common. I've seen that quite a bit. 
Oh, wow. All the vehicles I had, I never had this. I know. You would think they'd have, after 100 years, they'd have a radio figured out. But so it, it is it, the radio. It, yeah, sir. It's going to be in the radio somewhere. Now, it doesn't mean the radio itself is bad. Like I said, it could be a program issue, which any competent shop can reprogram that for you, put the latest and greatest GM update on the PCM, and that may very well cure it. Almost any good shop has technical service bulletins, which they can check and see if there's one for that problem. And that would be the first thing I do is try a reprogram because that's inexpensive and it has a good chance of fixing the problem. If it doesn't, then you'd have to pull the radio out and send it off, and there are people who repair those. Okay. okay. All righty. Will you guys do that? Yeah, okay, I can do anything on it. Oh, okay, well, i got to make an appointment. It'd be best, too. If you just drop in, they're going to put you next in line. But, I mean, sometimes that may be two or three days before we get to your car because we work <laughs> on so many cars. Make an appointment right. in and out the same day. You need the whole truck or just the radio? No, I need the whole truck. The BCM is what's controlling that, which is in the truck. You pull the radio out, you, you're just pulling out the – it's kind of like if your computer had a virus and the screen comes up on the monitor and says virus, and you just bring the monitor in. The problem's not in the monitor. That's just showing it up. Well, I can quit scratching my head. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes it comes on and it stays mm-hmm. on for yeah, a while. Yeah, it's right. intermittent. It's just an electrical circuit. And like I said, they had some issues with that, that programming actually fixed. But it's supposed to have speed-sensitive volume. It's what it's trying to do, I think. It watches the speed of the vehicle. You're not idle. It tends to lower the volume so it's not blaring at higher speed. It actually cranks the volume up a little bit to keep it constant from what you can hear. But what happens is that when that malfunctions, it can turn it down when it should. It won't go off, but it will go way down. Way down. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I now, hear you guys. Yes, sir. The, the only other issue with it is there is a part in there called an amplifier, and those go out sometimes, too. Same issue. It's all involved in the same thing. Sometimes you can just change the amplifier, which is much less expensive than the radio. Well, what about if I get an aftermarket radio and put it in You can, Merrill, but you can end up with all kinds of other issues because that thing is so integrated into the systems of the truck. You probably end up with a check engine light or who knows what. It's all tied into the body control module. It's tied into the power control module. And most people who put the aftermarket radios in have other issues with them. I mean, you could try it, but it causes a lot of other problems. So it's tied into the uh, launch system, too, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's all what they did. They take parts of the radio, they put it in the power control module. Other parts are in the body control module. And the reason being, they keep people from stealing the radios. If you take the radio out, it won't play. If you put it in another car, it won't play. Gotcha. All righty. Makes sense to me. Okay, Merrill. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. right, If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Tim's been patiently holding. Good morning, Tim. Hey, Lewis. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. My mom's got a 99 Oldsmobile Alero, Mm -hmm. and it's got a service vehicle soon light on. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And I looked in the owner's manual, and it says there is possibly something wrong with the ALC system or the DRL system, please bring the dealer as soon as possible. That's just more or less like a check engine light, Tim. It just tells you something is wrong in the car. Now, there's several different ones. Some of them are specific to emissions-type problems. Some cars have put other lights in there, but basically it's all the same thing. It's just a matter of plugging into the computer, seeing what the fault is and fixing it. It's got a sensor somewhere that the computer can't interpret what it is or a wire loose or something that's gone bad. No big deal. It's just like fixing a check engine light or anything else. Any company right. shop can handle that. None of the uh, AutoZone check the little code right. reader says no codes found. Well, that's because it's right. in the body module and not in the PCM. You need okay. to have somebody yeah, you with a Yeah, you've got to have like a Tech 2, which to is get a GM 2. So any real shop can check that for you. Okay. All right. Uh, I will get her to come bring it to you. Let okay, you Tim. All right. Thank Bye. you, man. Bye-bye. All right. You want to be part of the automotive hour? And we're going to go back to the lines with Thomas. Good morning, Thomas. 
Good morning, uh, Louis. How yes, are you doing? Sir. I am doing great, sir. Okay, I got a new Chevy pickup. Okay. Silverado. Uh-huh. And too high for my wife to climb in and out of. They do sit high. And somebody was telling me you can get a shackles on the rear to lower it some, you know. Well, Thomas, it'll bring the rear down kind of level with the front. But it doesn't really lower the truck overall a great deal. Okay. And what the pros and the cons of installing this? Anything? It's going to change the wheel alignment, so you're going to need to go back and reset your alignment if you put it on there. Other than that, it lowers the back about, what, an inch, Brian? About an inch, inch and a half. Inch, inch and a half. It'll level the truck out, but it's not going to lower it overall a great deal. How about the ride? It's not going to help it. It's going to make a little difference in the way it rides on the highway. I I did it to mine, and I'm Mm -hmm. contemplating putting them back. You don't Just, like it? I don't, I don't like them. Okay. I, I picked up a little vibration when I put okay. them on. Well, yeah, because it's going to change the drive shaft right. angle, right. which may bring a vibration. See, what okay. Chevrolet does, let's say they build this truck, and they've got an issue with a vibration, say, that's just inherent in the design. They yeah. may set the angle of the drive shaft such that it tunes that vibration up to maybe 80, 85 miles an hour where you won't feel it, I even though you. it's there. Now, you change that angle, then you can bring it back yeah. down to 70, which is right where you're driving. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, Brian's got that exact, or uh, got yeah. one of those exact trucks. I don't think, Thomas, it's going to make enough difference to help your wife out it because doesn't. it only drops the back, which is right. only going to drop. By, by the time you get the door, you get half that much drop. So yeah. you ain't talking about three quarters of an inch at most. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to hold anything on that. Because I know how critical everything is, you know, for yeah. and everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I certainly appreciate your advice. All right, Thomas. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. Hi, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we got Tim online. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Lewis. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. My girlfriend has a 2006 Silverado 1500. Okay. And she uses it in her business. Mm-hmm. And there is a rattle or a clanking sound that comes from under the dash. It sounds like it's coming from the steering column. Yes, sir, it, it is. is. It is. <laughs> I guarantee it is. That's called steering column clunk, Tim. That has been a problem since 1999, and they hadn't got it out of there really properly yet. But every one of them does that. There is a revised steering shaft for that problem. But what we have found at Agco is you can install the new shaft, and the noise will still be there. Reason being, what happens, the old shaft binds, which puts a lot of tension on the lower bushing in the steering column. It beats that plastic bushing out. So even after you fix the original problem, the clunk's still there. There's a nice article on my website, describes it exactly, shows you exactly how to fix it and all that. If you want to go in there and just type in like clunk or something in the search bar. But what we have done is we replace the shaft with the newer shaft. And then rather than go in and change that steering column bushing, which is a real big deal, we've got a clamp that we put around it where we can tighten it down. It actually squeezes it and takes the slack out of it. It works real good. Okay, now is this something a shade tree mechanic can do, or do I have to bring it? You probably can. It's not that expensive to have it done. It's about an hour's labor, so you're talking eighty-eight dollars at our shop. I think the parts are maybe another hundred bucks, so probably under two hundred bucks you can get it done. Nothing you can't do. You just have to take that intermediate steering shaft off, then lay on your back under the dash and find that bushing and put some kind of a clamp around, it, tighten it up. And you got to be careful what type of clamp you use and mm-hmm. how you put it on there. Right. It's got to go on there a certain way mm-hmm. with a certain configuration. Right. So it doesn't get so caught on the brake pedal. It's a little, little bit yeah, tough, but it's nothing you couldn't do. All right. Well, I appreciate okay, you. Okay, man. All right, sir. Bye-bye. Right, if you want to give us a call, we got to take a little quick break. Conan and Al, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. Mm-hmm. 
fly back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr... Herr Voted Supervillain, Arch Nemesis of Good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par. Melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, some days... I just want a garden. Herr Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we're going back to our phone lines. we got Conan on the line. Good morning, Conan. Hi, good morning, Lewis. This yes, is Conor Marino. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, sir. Great. I have a 1999 Civic, uh-huh. uh, 1.6 liter. Yes, sir. And yeah, for uh, probably for a couple of weeks, I had a, a little missing feeling, okay. like you're under load. You're yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Driving 55 or so. Yeah, a little missing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I left the car parked for about a day and a half or so, mm-hmm. and got in the crank. It'll turn over, but mm-hmm. it will not start. Hmm. And I've got uh, the fuel pump primes when you put the key yeah, uh, in and in position. I've got fuel at the filter uh, under pressure. You mm-hmm. crack the nut mm-hmm. on the top mm-hmm. side of the filter. Yes, yeah, sir. It fuel all over you. So I'm trying to determine what the issue is. Well, uh, I'll tell you I, what, Conan, if you've got any way to check injector pulse, which can be done in a number of ways, they make a little device called a Noid light that you can plug in and you can physically see it pulsing. Or you may be able to put like a volt ohmmeter across the lead. What the computer does is there's power all the time to the injectors. What the computer does is grounds each injector when it wants it to fire. And the reason I say to check that is they had a problem back around those days with those little cars with what they call an EFI relay, the electronic fuel injection relay. It's up okay. under the dash of the car, and what it would do is they had some cold solder joints on some of the circuit boards they built and a cold solder joint is where you get a little hairline crack around a soldered area what can happen is under certain conditions particularly when it's sitting out in the sun and humidity kind of leaks into it it'll just quit working when it does it quits opening the injectors so crank 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 it may eventually start and then when it starts it may run fine for another two months and then do it again but that was a very common problem i can't guarantee it's a problem with this one but it was a very common issue that we saw in that time frame on that car now we used to replace those relays but what we've come to find is we can actually take them out take the cover off take a solder iron resolder all the joints and it works just about as well as replacing them and it's not a cheap relay it's about a hundred dollar relay so it's kind of sort of where you sound like you're pretty handy you might just try that first because that was a very common issue with them beyond that you could check and make sure you've got spark by taking one of the wires off of the distributor crank it over and see if if the spark is firing if not they did have some issues with distributors going out on them that will cause the same kind of an issue 
But beyond okay. the injectors firing, if you if you know you got fuel pressure and you know you got adequate fuel pressure, the injectors firing or the spark is about the only two things left, other than the engine jumping time or something. If that was the case, it would probably be cranking really fast. It would it would sound really right. peculiar when it cranked over. And yeah, I doubt well, it would just do that just sitting there, you know. Okay, well, I definitely do not have spark. I've checked each plug okay. uh, to ground with okay. a, with an assistant, and okay, I've well, got no spark. Go back and check that relay, because if I'm not mistaken, it also kills the spark. It ki- I know it kills injector pulse, and it may kill spark also. So okay. that would be my first thing i check. And if if you want to confirm it, like I said, just check and see if you got a pulse to your injector. Now, if you got injector pulse, then that's not it. Okay. And if you don't okay. have an injector pulse, I'd pull that relay out, resolder the contacts, put it back in, and see if that fixes it. If you have injector pulse, then I'd probably lean more towards the distributor. Okay. All right. And you said that uh, there's a little tool that you can buy for checking injector pulse? There is. It's called a Noid light. It's nothing more than a little LED light that plugs in. You, you unplug the injector, and it plugs into the air, and every time the injector fires, it pulses. Just a little light. Okay. A little cheap thing. They're not very much. Okay. All righty. All right, well, I will check that, okay. and um, we'll go from there. Thank good, you. Good luck to you, man. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Fire, we'd love to have you. And we've got Darren on the line. Good morning, Darren. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. i got a 2003 Toyota 4Runner, okay. and when the air conditioner's wide open, mm-hmm. it only blows cold air through the passenger side vents. Okay. What does the driver's side do? doesn't blow at all, or does it blow warm? It blows air that is not as cool. Okay. I mean, it's not hot air. It's, it, it, I can tell it's not it's coming cool. From it's just not cold. Luke cold. Yeah, I understand. Darren, the most common thing on that is the system is a little bit low on refrigerant. Now, for whatever reason, when they get a little bit low, what will happen is that all the cold that's available in that evaporator core tends to blow out on the passenger side because it's closer to it. By the yeah. time the air gets through there and goes over to the driver's side, it's, like you said, kind of Luke cold. That would be the most common issue. Now, there's lots of other things. There's some little servo motors under the dash that controls temperature side to side and all. But generally, when they go out, you're going to get either ambient or even hot air on the other side, not not as cold. So the way you have to check that one, Darren, you, the last thing in the world you want to do is let some jughead go squirt some more Freon in there. Because if that's not the problem, you'll blow the compressor off the engine. What you have to do on that one is you have to evacuate the system completely measure the amount of charge that comes out, and then put the correct amount of charge back in there. And if it is low, it means it has a leak somewhere, so you have to also find the leak and then repair the leak. And on Toyotas, we don't see a lot, a lot of air conditioning problems. Sometimes it's an O-ring in one of the lines. Sometimes something's popped up, maybe knocked a little hole in the condenser. Occasionally, we see one with an evaporator core go out. But that would be the procedure you need to follow. Go ahead and evacuate it out, measure what comes out, and let's just say the system holds two pounds and you draw 1.2 out. Well, then obviously it's low. Go ahead and put the correct amount back in. It's going to start cooling again, but you also have to find the leak. And a couple of ways to find that leak, one's with an electronic leak detector. Two is you can add dye to the system when you recharge it to check it and see where the dye comes out. And then there's a number of other procedures that a shop can do. But that would be the way I would go about trying to fix it i almost guarantee that's going to fix that problem there's also one other thing about putting refrigerant in it Mm -hmm. from like a parts store that stuff has sealer in it yeah be sure it doesn't say sealer once you put the sealer in the system Mm -hmm. no shop can touch it after that that's right because what it does the shops have to evacuate any of the refrigerant that's in the system and they can't evacuate that with a sealer in it because it messes the recovery machines up right so the first thing be very careful about doing that if you go some jughead and he throws a can of 
refrigerant in with sealer in it. We come in, we identify the system, it comes back positive. Hey, you got a system full of hazardous waste, nothing I can do for you. Because by federal law, I can't, I can't let it go out in the air and I can't recycle it. So you just got a car you can't fix. Right. So be okay. very, yeah. very careful who you let work on it. <laughs> right. All righty. Thank you. Okay, yes, Darren. Sir. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Hi, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we got John's being patiently holding. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I've got a 2000 Chevy pickup truck. Yes, sir. It haven't drove it much in the past, say, three or four years. Okay. Tried to sell it. Didn't want Nobody wanted to pay good money for it. So, I, so I held on to it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, now when I drive it, my rear wheels get hot. I don't know if that's brakes. Or wheel bearings or what? No, John, that's almost always on that one. They have a lot of trouble with rear calipers hanging up, particularly when the trucks sit. Chevrolet, in their infinite wisdom, put plastic pistons in those rear calipers. You remember back in the 80s, Ford had so much trouble with their front brakes and plastic pistons? Well, I guess GM looked at that and said, hey, that's cool. Let's try it on the back of the trucks. <laughs> you know? Great. But that's one issue. Another could possibly make sure that the parking brakes are fully releasing because even though it's popping loose on the inside, if your cables are a little corroded or something, sometimes it'll keep that parking brake slightly applied. They had a bad problem with the parking brakes anyway on those vehicles mm-hmm. through those years, 99 to 2003. They redesigned the right. parking brake retaining yeah. clip because what would happen, that little C-shaped, shoe and they were kind of dragging the drum all the time and eat the drum up and for whatever reason the one on the left side was worse than the one on the right right but what you can do john is just jack the truck up in the back and grab the wheel and turn it and see if it turns nice and free and smooth and if it doesn't then you can go in first off and remove the brake calipers on either side before you do that Mm -hmm. open the brake bleeder screw Mm -hmm. and let the pressure off of it see if it turns free right if it turns free after that then You've got a pressure Hydraulic problem, problem some something problem. holding it on. If it does not release, mm-hmm. then you, you're more likely into a caliper that's locking up. Right, and see, that's hardly ever the case on that one because normally if you've got pressure on the system, all four wheels are going right. to get hot. So it's most likely, like Brian that's said, a good if, way to yeah, if, you open, if you open the blader screw and it releases, then you've got a hydraulic problem, which is pretty rare. But if you open it it's still tight, then just take the caliper off, and if it gets loose, then it's the caliper. Right. If it doesn't get loose, then go ahead and pull the rotor off. It's going to probably be a little parking brake shoe in there. Okay. All right, very good. All righty. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you, yes, John. Sir. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive fire, we'd love to have you. Let's see if we can catch one more call before the break. We've got Alan on the line. Good morning, Alan. Hi, good morning. Yes, good sir. Morning. I'm calling about a 07 GMC Sahara. Yes, sir. And I find whenever I put it in reverse mm-hmm. and start backing up, mm-hmm. I'm getting a grinding noise. Sound like it's in the front or the back, or can you really tell where it's coming from? It sounds like it's either in the middle or the back. Okay. Is it a single grind or a continuous grind? You can hear it grinding with movement. Okay. Only kind of with the speed of the wheel? Yeah. How many miles are on it, Dallin? Right at 100,000. Have you had the rear brakes looked at? Uh, I have. That it's all- been changed recently. Recently. Was the noise there before they did the brakes? No, it wasn't. Yeah, they probably have got something that's not installed correctly or something that's a little bit out of place because that kind of a noise is almost always a rear brake problem. What you might try is while you're backing out, just lightly touch the brake pedal and see if the noise changes any, if it gets quieter or louder or goes away or anything like that, and that would more or less confirm it. But I would almost bet you you've got something in that rear. One thing that happens we see a lot if the bolt falls out, well, it's got a drum on it. That's right on 07. 07's got drums. Something that's coming loose inside of there, maybe one of the clips holding the shoes in or something, 
could not be in there properly. But I would take it back to whoever did the brakes and just let them listen to it. That's probably going to be a warranty issue on those brakes. Okay, I'll try that. All right, Alan. All right, thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Don and Isaac, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. Not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Jerry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we're going back to phone lines with Isaac. Good morning, Isaac. Hey, Louis, how you doing? Doing great, sir. I guess you remember me. You did my car that hit on that beard. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sure did. I want to tell you what a good job y'all did. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, and that's all I got to say. And you'll be in with some more folks because I'm telling them about you. Well, good deal. I appreciate it. it worked out good for you, huh? Oh, yeah, it did. Okay, and that and guy. Tell, the... your wife, tell your wife the change you gave my dear get a hamburger. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> get a that's you, right. Man. Thank you, Isaac. All right. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. And we got Don online. Good morning, Don. Okay, this is Don. I have a uh, 2004 S60. Uh-huh. I have two problems with it. Now, I drive it to Mississippi and back, which is about 100 miles or so yes, once a week. Uh-huh. But And it drives pretty well. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. And it's been like that from, from day one. I'm a, it's a second-owner vehicle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the engine light goes on. It stays on. Yes, sir. And I've never been able to get an inspection sticker because right. every time I go... Of course, they reject it, yeah, but right. it never says what exactly the problem is. It'll say right bank too rich or some yes, nonsense like It doesn't tell you what the problem is, Don. It's just going to tell you what it's fine. It's up to a technician to determine what the problem is. I see, yeah. You just got to take out if somebody knows what they're doing and let them check yeah, it. Right. And they can tell you why that bank is rich. A number of things can account for that. It could be a stuck injector or sticking injector. It could be a plug that's misfiring me. Probably dozens and dozens of things, but a code never tells you what is wrong. All it does is give symptoms. Yeah, it just it just right. tells you what the car sees. The car sees right. the bank's too rich. Well, it doesn't know why. It just flags that is the problem. But then a tech is going to have to find out why. But that shouldn't be a big deal. Bring it anybody. Be a big deal, huh? Well, you got to bring it to somebody who works on Volvos, and right, you know they right. still run the code and go from there. And it's no yeah. different than any other car. Sure. I'm, I have another question, sure. Lewis, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate your show. I've listened yes, to it for years. Well, I, I just want to mention that. Mm-hmm. I have a problem, and I can't figure out, and this is my guess, and mm-hmm. I want to see what yours is. Okay. It, one of the service things on it years ago when the prior owner had it, it said that the upper motor mount was cracked. Okay. And I looked, and I can see it looks like 
there's a little in the rubber. You know, yes, like sir. Maybe a minor crack. Mm-hmm. But it looks like every time I accelerate real fast, uh-huh. I get a real bump, 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 bump in the transmit. You know, in the transmission through the pedal. Yes, sir. You know. Well, that would certainly be a sign of a broken motor mount. It could be. Yes, sir. What can happen, Don, the mount is probably not making noise, but see, if the mounts are broke and the engine picks up, it may throw the inner CV joints in a bind, which is that bump, 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 bump that you're hearing. Tripod's bottoming out in there because the engine's picked up out of line. So that would certainly go hand in hand. I mean, obviously, it's not the only thing that can cause that, but if those mounts are broken... The engine lifts up, the two drive axles, the angle is going to change drastically, especially if it's only on hard acceleration. Uh-huh. See, the harder you accelerate, the more torque the engine puts out. And that almost sounds like an inner tripod bottoming out, especially if it's about a third of the speed of the engine because yeah. there's three of them on there. So as they go around, it's going to make a bump, 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 bump kind of a noise. And eventually that's going to tear the drive axles up. So it Ooh. may be something you need to get looked at. Yeah, one the other thing, too, is, like, if I turn a corner mm-hmm. and I'm dead low and I turn a corner fast and accelerate, it, it does it then, too. Yes, sir. That's See, then that would be the outer, outer CV side, joint, yeah. which will sound very much the same, sort of a, more of a click than a bump, but like a click, 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 click. That would be the yeah, outer it, CV it's joint. Bump, 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 and then you feel it through the accelerator pedal. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's probably already damaged the drive axle, if that's the case, if it's doing it on turns also. Now, fortunately... There are companies that rebuild those drive axles for a much, much lower cost than what it would cost to buy one from Volvo. So uh-huh. you may want to look at, just bring it to someone who works on Volvos, tell him what it's doing, maybe drive with him, point it out to him. They could probably replace the drive axles, but what my fear would be if you don't address the motor mounts, it may happen again. Uh-huh. Well, thank you. Very All right, much. Don. I really appreciate it, Lewis. Well, well, thank you. Show. well thanks thank for you. listening. Thank you. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Hi, you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Luke online. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank yes, you so much for the work you do. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. On and off the radio. Yes, sir. Got a problem with a 09 F-150 cargo van. Okay. AC blows cold and mm-hmm. it blows hard mm-hmm. when it chooses to. Yes, sir. And it's very erratic as mm-hmm. to when it might choose to stop blowing, <laughs> but I don't think that the compressor stops blowing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm familiar with that problem. You feel cold air. Yeah, I'm quite mm-hmm. familiar with that. What happens is it just quits blowing out of the vents. Right, now, and you can play with the fan a little bit, maybe turn it down to lower speed, back to high, and yes, it may come right back mm-hmm. on at full blast. I can tell you what the problem is, Luke, and then I'll tell you what causes it, too. There's a part in there called either a blower transistor or a blower resistor, depending on what type of temperature control system you got in the van. They use both. But what happens is that the fan motor starts to pull excessive amperage as it gets a little bit older. When that happens, it can burn up the transistor or the resistor, and it doesn't normally just burn it completely out. What it does, it kind of singes the little pigtail that plugs onto it. Now, Mm -hmm. you're going down the road, and maybe you hit a little bump, or maybe it gets a little hotter than normal or whatever, and it opens. Well, when it does, you're going to lose your blower. Then it may sit there for a while, cool back down, and you may get your blower back. So what you have to do is locate this little part. It's, like I said, either call it a blower resistor or a blower transistor, depending on the model that you got. Inspect the connector going onto it real, real, real carefully, and you're probably going to see some discoloration and maybe even a little melting of the plastic. You may even see some corrosion on the terminals. And mm-hmm. what you're going to have to do is replace that pigtail and replace the blower motor. If you don't replace the blower motor, it's going to happen again because the motor okay. is normally drawing too much amperage. I got you. All righty. All right, now, what can you do about the deficit problem? <laughs> that would be pretty darn easy to fix. 
I think you would, too, and I think you could handle it. Thank oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And going back to our phone lines, we've got Willie online. Good morning, Willie. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have a 94 Maxima. Okay. That's 216,000. Wow, okay, good. Good. Engine runs very good. But mm-hmm. when I take the gas cap off, it seems like I have a vacuum in the gas tank. What caused that? Well, it's probably, it could actually be a vacuum or it could be pressure. They both sound about the same. Mm-hmm. What happens, Willie, is that that car, when gasoline gyrates around, it builds up some pressure in the tank. Okay. So there is a system called an evaporative emission system. And what it does, it's got a sensor on the tank, it's got a solenoid in the back, and a solenoid in the front. When it decides that it wants to get these fumes out of there and the running conditions are correct and the level in the tank is correct, it will open one solenoid, close the other, and suck those fumes out with draw a vacuum on the tank. At other times, it can not be drawing it just because of it's got a lot of parameters, in which case you may actually have some pressure on the tank. Pretty much it's normal for the car. That's just the way it operates. It's not setting a check engine light or anything? No. Yeah, if the check engine light's not on, it's operating properly. But it may at times have slight pressure. It may at times have a slight vacuum. Such things as how much fuel's in the tank. For instance, if it's less than a quarter of a tank, it's not going to run the EVAP. Or if it's more than three-quarters of a tank, it may not run the EVAP. So it may have pressure under those conditions. At other times, it may have a vacuum on it if it is, is running the EVAP when you happen to take the cap off or has just run the EVAP. What it does, it uses vacuum to test the integrity of the system. What it'll do is the computer will sit there and it will close the vent solenoid, open the purge solenoid, draw a vacuum on the tank, close the purge solenoid, and it wants to hold that vacuum for a certain number of minutes. That way it knows there's no leaks anywhere. And there's a sensor on the tank that tells it that. So... As long as the check engine light's not coming on, it's all working properly. But if, let's say, it just did the EVAP test and you walk back in and you open the gas cap, well, you can have a vacuum on the tank. Okay. All righty. So there's nothing dangerous about no, it. No, sir, not at all. It's pretty okay. much normal for the car. Okay, thank you. All right, Willie. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. I if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, Lewis. Thank you for taking my call. Well, thanks for calling. I've got a 1990 Lincoln Town car. Okay. And I think it's got one of those digital dashboards on yes, it, sir. and mm-hmm. nothing will light up on it. In other words, you can't see your speedometer, your gas gauge, or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just wondering what in the heck could be caused. Did all the lights go out at one time, or did they go out like one and more? And... No, sir, I believe they all went. Well, actually, the car belongs to my brother, and I've been uh-huh. trying to fix it for him. But I yes, believe sir. they all went out at the same time. I've checked all the fuses, and they mm-hmm. appear to be good. Yes, sir. David, they had a little bit of issues with those things, and there are folks on the Internet who can actually rebuild those for you. Most of them did not have individually replaceable bulbs. They had LEDs or little bulbs soldered into the board. Mm-hmm. Depending on what kind of bulbs are in there, if it's a General Motors-style bulb, we can replace them for you. We keep those in stock because we rebuild the GM dashes in-house. And we can pull yep. the dash out, unsort them, sort the new bulbs in. If it's got a different style bulb, it might be a little difficult to find. But most likely, either the feed to the bulbs has burned out or gotten loose or cracked or whatever, or just all the bulbs have gone out over a period of time. You might ask them if they kind of one corner got dark and then the other corner. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously, they've all been there the same amount of time. They've all been lit up the same amount of time. So they all kind of tend to burn out about the same amount of time yes, within a year of each other. So you might just ask him that. If he says you know, it had dark spots and it got worse and worse and finally they all went out, it's probably the bulbs. 
If not, it's probably one of the connections or wires going into the dash. And they had some issues with some of the solder joints on it being bad. I know on the Ford trucks, they got an intermittent problem with a speedometer will drop out in them. And we pull them out, resolder all the connections on them, and we fix a lot of those for that problem. Is that an expensive job, Lou? No, if it can be repaired, it's probably not a real big deal. I would say less than $200, if it's including pulling it out, soldering it, and putting it all back in. Yeah. As long as it's not like a circuit board or something burned out in it. Now, if you got that, it may jump up the price of the circuit board, you know? Uh-huh. All right, then. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to monkey around with it, and if yeah, I can't get it, can, I'm going to probably have to come see you. Okay, David. Sure, thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, can we take one more call for the break? Yeah, he gave me a big thumbs up. I think it was a thumb he was poking up there. Let's see. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Love your show. Well, thanks, sir. I listen, listen to you every every Saturday. Well, good. Great. Thank you. 1999 Honda Passport. Mm-hmm. Runs great. Just a tad over 100,000 miles. Uh-huh. No engine problems. No missing. No misfiring. Mm-hmm. But when you stop, mm-hmm. it'll kill. Okay, just die, dude. If you're driving at 50 mm-hmm. miles an hour yes, sir. and you take your foot off the accelerator mm-hmm. and you go to brake, it'll kill. Okay, now let me ask you this, David. It starts right back up? Oh, yes. Okay, well, try this. It, or you may have already tried this. If you hold your foot slightly on the pedal, will it keep running? Yes. Okay, that's going to be a part called an idle control valve. I knew it. I yes, knew sir. it because I listened to your show. There I you go. It. <laughs> yeah, it's, I wasn't going to say it. Yeah, it's a valve inside of the throttle body. And what happens, David, is as they get older, they get a little slower. And when you let your foot off the gas, what you're doing, you got all this air running through that air horn, and all of a sudden you slam the throttle shut. Well, it all stops instantly. So the engine's going to chug down. And when it's operating properly, the idle servo picks it back up in a microsecond so that it keeps running. When it gets slow, what will happen is it just can't get it up fast enough, and bam, it dies, and it'll just crank right back up. But it's almost always going to be that idle control valve on that one, and it's a little bit of a bear to change. You have to pull the throttle body off to actually change that one. Uh, it's kind of built inside of it. So you, you pull the throttle body, and something inside of there is a gasket and some O-rings you change. It's not a major – it's not like thousands of dollars or anything, but it's a few hundred. Yeah, is that, is that something y'all can do in a day? Oh, absolutely, yes, sir. Okay, because my wife works right there at Lazy Boy, right around yes, the corner. Sir. Yes, sir. What okay. I'd probably do, I'd, I'd confirm that that's what it is and make sure the part is available, and then she can just bring it in. We can swap, have the part. We'll swap it right out. It takes a couple hours. Good deal. We'll uh, make an appointment to come see you. Okay, David. Thank you, man. Hey, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take a quick little break. Can't hang on. You'll be straight up after the break. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodwitch. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. Zelt check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
is joining us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and just give us a call. We're glad to put you up to the top of the list. We got Ken online. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, and how are y'all? Doing great, Doing sir. Great. Got a 95 Tacoma extra cab. Okay. Transmission don't want to shift right. What's it doing, Ken? Well, it's just shifting the higher speeds. You have to get up to 65 to get it in the fourth, and then the overdrive doesn't work. So I got to looking at it, and there's a cable that comes off from underneath where the, I guess, not a carburetor, but the Yeah, throttle body. There. Yes, sir. I can stick my finger between the cable and where it's supposed to ride, and I follow that cable down in there, and it goes on the top of that transmission. Yeah, be very, very, very careful with that, Ken. And I know you don't want to hear this, but that cable controls the pressure to the clutches. Right. If that comes off or gets out of adjustment or quits working, you can burn the transmission up in a matter of a few hours. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I've, I've been driving it like that. But I don't drive it that much. Right, but you need to get that to somebody that and see what it is because, see, that may be your whole problem right there. Normally, late shifting is not an issue inside the transmission. It's normally a control issue on the outside. Right. But – I would not drive that truck until you can get that repaired because I know on the Fords they had a similar setup. And when I tell you they'd burn up a transmission in about a half a day, people would, I'd tell them, tow the car in. Oh, I'm going to drive it in. They'd come in and be fried. They'd just burn the clutches to pieces for something that could have been fixed with grommet and a, a little adjustment. Now, you're not going to believe this. I took the dad burn thing and took it over to Toyota. Mm-hmm. And as I was driving over there, it was driving perfect and wasn't having a problem. Mm-hmm. And then when I passed the car up, that's when it started again. I guess when I accelerated it, it extended that cable. Could be, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe moving it around may have got it to return to a normal position, and then when you extended it out, it's sticking or something is what it sounds like. But, yeah, I wouldn't keep driving that. You need to get that in and have somebody check it for you. That will definitely cause you some issues. Operating inside that transmission, is that a, some spring-loaded device, or is that a pressure-operated device? Is it the cable? I don't know. I'd have to ask Josh. It's a cable that tells it. Basically, how much throttle you're giving it. Yeah, it used so to be it has a modulator. To, you know, we used to put the air modulators yeah, on. Yeah, well, those have been gone for a long time, and the cables are gone now. It all works off the throttle position sensor. and the, That's what they say. This is what replaced that on this transmission. Yeah, that took a case of a modulator. But see, they don't even use those anymore now. That's all real old stuff. Now everything's throttle position sensors and map sensors and all right, that. Yeah. Everything's but, yeah, that's pretty important to get that taken care of, Ken, because it will definitely burn the transmission up. You know what kind of money we might – you think I'm going to have to have the transmission pulled? Well, you may have to to keep driving it. Right now, I mean, right now, it may just be a cable. To look at it. Don't know. Don't know, man. It may just be as simple as a cable or adjustment right now. Well, I but, can't see the cable itself coming off on the exterior of the transmission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it runs up in there somewhere. Like I said, I'm just not familiar enough with it to tell you. Board. Huh? I was thinking about cutting a hole in the floorboard. I would go be that, a whole I lot easier to take that to somebody knows what they're doing. Yeah. You know? All right. All right, Ken. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Uh-huh. All right. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour? And we've got Eugene online. Good morning, Eugene. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I've got a, a 2009 Silverado. Okay. Uh, I bought it new. Uh-huh. It used a little over two quarts on the first oil change. Okay. And it continues to use just a, about a quart, a quart and a half. Between oil changes. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I bought the thing new. I don't mm-hmm. understand what could be going on. Well, it's just some engines do that, Eugene. They, I can tell you Chevrolet is not going to address that problem under warranty if it's less than about a quart and 500 miles. That's what they say is normal. Now, don't argue with me because I don't, I don't agree either, but that's what their standard is. If it's less than a quart and 500, they're not going to address it. 
what it is, something in the way the rings are set up, something in the way the guides are set up, it just uses all. And it shouldn't do that. They should take care of it, but good luck. What are you talking about as far as an oil change? How many miles? Usually three to 4,000. Yeah, see, if, if you burn two quarts and 4,000, I mean, it's a quart every 2,000 miles. They're not going to address that under warranty. Okay. They're just going to say, well, hey. I, I guess it, I mean, it, it runs beautifully. It's not going to hurt it, really. I mean, overall, long enough term, I don't know how to get that past the EPA because all that extra oil is going into the catalytic converter where it's burning it up. And I've always thought it's going to shorten the life of the converter eventually, but I can tell you, you ain't going to get Chevrolet to do anything about it. And, I mean, I wouldn't throw a truck away on account of that. I mean, a couple of quarts, it holds six quarts, so as long as you add one quart between your changes, you're going to be good. Yeah, now, I drive a Chevrolet for work. I ain't mm-hmm. going to make the company, but it's a large company. We mm-hmm. And and I talk to the fleet mechanic. Mm-hmm. I drive 3,500 Chevy at work. Mm-hmm. Any. Yes, sir. It uses oil. They told me that they decided to go to 15W4. Don't do that. Load their, their oil nope. control. That's not a good idea. Nope. That'll make it worse. Really? Yeah, so it's going to boost the oil pressure up. It's going to throw more oil on the cylinder walls, which is going to make the problem worse. Plus, it's going to screw up your displacement on demand. Do not do that. Right. 5W30. And what will help is if you consistently use a single brand of oil. And, again, don't mention any names, but if you get your oil changed at quick lubes and you go to different ones each time, changing the brand of oil will definitely make that a lot worse because every oil is pretty good, but all the additives in them are different. And if you start going to one place one time, another place another time, use different brands of all, that will definitely make that problem a lot worse. Okay. Well, so I've find you one good 5W30 all and stick with it. Well, I've gone to the dealer every time for my oil changes. Yeah, so, and uh, I don't know what kind of all they use or if they that, use that the same one. Yeah. Or, yeah, it doesn't mean very much there. Just I would probably, I don't know, you don't do any work yourself. I used to yeah vehicles are getting so complicated i know i just kind of let it i'm real big eugene on people changing their own oil if they got the wherewithal to do it just because you have so much more control because i'm gonna tell you they got flunkies in there doing the oil changes and i just there's so many things can go wrong in an oil change it's pretty simple the average person can do it themselves i've actually got an article on my website on changing oil that tell you some things you may have not thought about but if you could do that yourself or find you one person that you can walk in talk to the owner of the shop and just use them use one person consistently make sure they're putting the same oil in there every time and you may see that get a whole lot better other than that it's not much you can do about it just just one of them things some engines do just use all what about these oil additives do you no 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 nothing you can put in there it's not gonna make it worse really yes sir a uh, long time ago, I used to uh, believe in Slick 50. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> Slick 50's gone now. Yeah, don't do it. Just, uh, I put it in an old 89 yeah. GMC Safari mm. van. Yeah. And my wife stopped at a stoplight and she tried to crank it back up. Yeah. Yep. Don't put any kind of additives in there. It will definitely make it worse and may cause you all kind of other problems. Well, we have pretty much squandered a whole well of a good hour. That's it. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and tell right. some more people so we can get some more yeah, people get listening. as many as we can. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.